Hello and welcome to episode 5 of a lawyer and a policy analyst walking to a bar. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, I am one lawyer short today. <laughs> uh, Jarek is caught up with something and had to rush out at the last minute, so I'm here today just myself and a special guest. To the guests, welcome on our listeners as usual. Uh, today we're wondering if it's GT time, you know, GT for George Strong. Is it GT time? <laughs> is Guyana poised for a takeoff? And we have with us none other than a son of the soil of Guyana, uh, an esteemed colleague of mine whom I met many, many years ago, or not many, many years, <laughs> a couple of years ago uh, when he was on the Guild of Students of the University of Guyana. Uh, Gil, and uh, we actually met in Guyana where we signed a memorandum of understanding, but that's in a different life, that's in a past life. And um, he's moved on to bigger, better things, uh, not really a, a geopolitical analyst in Guyana. And so we decided to pull him in for this episode. It's something that we've been wanting to tackle. And so we said, let's pull in Brian. So Brian, just quickly tell us a, a short bit about yourself before we get into the episode. All right. Thank you very much for the invitation, Delano. You know, it's usually the most difficult thing to speak about yourself. <laughs> As you true. rightly said, um, I'm right down here, moved on from UGSS, and now have moved on to getting involved in policy. The reasons why geography, natural resources, and settlement affect the political economy of a country. So here I am, here to contribute on my take on, you know, Guyana and whether or not it's ready for its oil boom. All right, Brian, and we're very happy to have you here with us. Just background before we jump right into the pod. Well, really and truly, we know what we're talking about here. Guyana gained the attention of the world in around May 2015 when Exxon Mobile announced that they had discovered more than 90 meters of high-quality oil-bearing sandstone and reservoirs, essentially oil. And um, it was very significant, it was a very significant discovery and um, it really propelled, uh, pushed Guyana into mainstream media. We started talking about this massive oil discovery in Guyana. Now, as we know, Brian, just for the early background for the people, uh, Guyana current population around uh, just over 770,000 people, uh, size around 214,000, almost 215,000 square kilometers. Uh, currency, as we know, uh, is approximately 200. 208 or 209 Guyanese to 1 US dollar. Uh, GDP in 2017, that's just what I pulled up before the episode, is around 3.67 billion US dollars. Uh, GDP per capita around 4,725 uh, US dollars. And so we, this is Guyana in a nutshell. I was reading a New York Times article and I was struck by the description of Guyana. I'll read it to you. Uh, Guyana is a vast, watery wilderness with only three paved highways. There are a few dirt roads between villages that sit on stilts along rivers, snaking through the rainforest. Children in remote areas go to school in dugout canoes and play naked in the muggy heat. Is this an accurate description of Guyana, Brian, or is it just sensationalism by the New York Times? You know, when um when we read this description of Guyana, there was a, there was a little campaign that actually started, you know, against I think it was Mr. Krauss who gave this assessment of what Guyana is. <laughs> um, I I I'm not too sure where this Guyana is. Um, I'll, I'll well, it's not your Guyana. <laughs> I'll stop short of saying that this possibly is some form of colony before independence. <laughs> I, am, I am very much disappointed. Guyana has, has not only demonstrated um, that we don't have a few dirt roads between villages, but we have started um, within the last two decades or three decades we have begun to have a stable trajectory of development. Almost every single community boasts of farm-to-market roads, 
Hmm. The entire coastline is connected. Um, these stilts on the riverside, I don't know. I remember reading literature books about some community that used to die for pearls, but... Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's way in the past, and this is an inaccurate... A very long time ago. I think that's even before we developed our um, sewage system. <laughs> wow. Time ago. But you know how these international media houses are when it comes to... Uh, these type of stories um, yes. as a matter of fact after I read this I, I went on to do more research and I realized uh, that Guyana's HDI which is the Human Development Index uh, in 2017 was around 0.65 which really puts the country in the medium human capital development category uh, which really positions it at about 125 out of 189 countries and territories so we can see that Guyana you know it's, it's not up there with the big big boys in terms of its HDI value but it, it's not uh, quite what they're putting out and um, even in terms of your, your socio-economic development in terms of your infrastructure and so uh, 2017 new UNDP report uh, spoke to about 70% of adult women having reached at least secondary school um, compared to 55% of their male counterparts so again that's a, that's a scenario that we see from playing out throughout the Caribbean uh, where females are uh, achieving more than males in terms of um, education and the length of time female participation in the, in the labor force is around 40% uh, compared to around 74% for men this is Guyana in a nutshell and really and truly moving into Guyana's oil exploration and its discovery we can see that it's, it's not really be it's really been a long and difficult oil journey the path to oil has been a long one um, I mean we it's, it's been like a uh, running joke that Guyana possibly could not be um, the only nation because we have Venezuela to the to the west of us that has oil, Suriname to the east, and it is almost impossible for us not to have oil. <laughs> so we have actually had in the past efforts of exploration done by Canadian companies which indicated the possibility of oil. A fact that many people don't know is that we actually have three oil distinctions, onshore oil, offshore oil, and ultra deep oil. Okay, okay. So we have three general bands in which oil reserves or oil potentialities have been covered. Mm -hmm. so we have had we have significant exploration. Yeah, I mean th that's that's no secret. I mean, but what people were saying essentially is that before 2015, Guyana had no real uh, history of oil production, exploration, yes, but not oil production. And correct, correct. Essentially, been a long string of a, a, over 40 unsuccessful exploration wells. Correct. And you know the infrastructure isn't really in terms of uh, any support for the production. This is this is um before um, 2015. And Correct. so you know so, so so really and that's that's what makes this oil find even more monumental. Mm. Given that you you know it's, it's not just trying and trying and trying and trying. This is 40 wells that were dug uh, mm. unsuccessfully. And so to finally be in a position to say bam we find this thing. You know mm. it, it, you can see why everybody's excited and everybody's talking about uh, Guyana, and even in terms of that too, we had instances uh, where they were right off by Royal Dutch Shell, and so on. So really and truly, a lot of a lot of commentators have been saying this whole exploration by Exxon it's been a, a big risk on their part that has played off that has paid off greatly for them now. And now they're now poised to, you know, obviously raking some money, but also help develop Guyana. Correct. Um, that that is very accurate. This has been a very risky venture and very capital intensive venture. Don't we have had oil showings in our in the interior of Guyana, but it was deemed too expensive mm -hmm. to extract. So Exxon's operation offshore definitely 
is is one that has the potentiality to transform our nation. Yeah, for sure. In April of this year, Exxon made a 13th discovery in deep waters off the, off the Guyanese coast. And, you know, this, this discovery was estimated to add around another 5.5 billion barrels of recoverable oil and um you know and that in starbuck alone and this is added to the other discoveries before so really and truly the oil potential here is staggering and exxon and its partners expect production over the next uh five years or so to go beyond 750,000 barrels per day and that is up there with the big boys in terms of oil production and if i if we can add to this um i mean there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of interest but exxon is but one mm -hmm. because we have repsol we have hess we have um andraco we have at least 10 other companies mm -hmm. that, 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 right. that want to play ball right and and the starbuck block is one block of many other blocks canoe palmyra mm -hmm. got cgx all mm -hmm. a, 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 is it a, is it liza i think liza is one that's, that's yeah. how you pronounce it liza is, is the um is the production that will be done by um exxon by exxon mm -hmm. liza one so right right now we have a floating production vessel on its way to Guyana, which will be docked to extract from liza one now, big things happening boy production. big things happening big things happening but brian i know a lot of uh, things are happening in, in, in terms of the, the region debate about Guyana and in terms of its oil but the big one of the biggest questions is is Guyana receiving the best possible deal from the oil companies in terms of their potential I mean some analysts have calculated that the government of Guyana could reap as much as 5 billion per year these projections uh, present transformative potential for a country with a population of just under 800,000 and a current GDP of less than 4 billion so I mean are you guys in your opinion I mean, and I can speak to Reistead Energy, for example, whose analysis found that Guyana's fiscal regime um, is favorable, is more favorable towards the oil companies when compared to mature oil and gas development countries. Uh, but also, as a caveat, they did say that it is in line when compared to other countries of equivalent maturity and development. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy that that um, a little distinction there was made uh, of mature production country com countries. Um, you know, oftentimes we make the error of trying to cut and paste and applying those cut and paste principles across the board. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we must appreciate nuances of regions and be appreciative of those nuances. As you said earlier, we had 40 previous unsuccessful attempts mm -hmm. at finding oil. We have in excess of 10 companies and, and collaborations attempting to search for oil. This oil is not on the coast. It's not where you can see it. As we just say, in a sweet bread, it ain't easy to find. You can't just walk exactly. and, this and is, kick this a is stone in deep sea. And, and oil spring up. This is, this is, a, this yes, is deep it's sea. Not, not going into it. Extremely high capital um, intensive extract. Uh, mm -hmm. So, from 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 my perspective, I believe that the, the current agreement favorable to our country. Mm -hmm. One, because now that Exxon has found oil, we have essentially de-risked an entire area. Mm -hmm. So now we can be in a position of um, power negotiating future, which we've already started to do. Mm -hmm. Future oil contracts. Now we will be able to renegotiate because we know as a, for a fact. Listen. The is there. Here, and as such, we will be able now to be more, I don't want to say aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you, you negotiate know, you, you on a different word. footing. As, as, as people just say, as the woman, you know, know your worth. You exactly. Before that, we didn't, we didn't know what was there. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and I guess that, that would be your response to like the IMF 
they basically suggested that the government should renegotiate and rewrite its tax law in order to re- to reap more benefit from it. So, for example, um, the, the same article from Ristel Energy, uh, Guyana's total oil production is, pre- is predicted to surpass the 750,000 barrels that we spoke about, and this could generate an annual revenue of around $15 billion from, from the oil and gas industry. And they're saying that after all costs are paid, around $10 billion in profit uh, would then be available to split between the companies and the government. Now, Guyana's uh, profit uh, from the oil royalties and uh, for, for the lies of phase one and two, uh, they said it's, a pro- it's around uh, $50 per barrel, so this could be around $3 billion, and which would really amount to around $25 billion over the life of the project, right? But then there's still some concerns. I mean, that sounds like big money, right? I mean, you're talking, what is it, $25 billion for Guyana? It sounds like big money. But we talk about the current boys. entire GDP of the country. <laughs> <laughs> and and but there's, there's there's still some concern. Yes, there are some concerns. Um, but we have been walking two legs since the discovery. The government has set up the Department of Energy, has engaged international experts for um, to, to be able to advise us as we move forward. We have engaged in building capacity through our revenue agencies, um, building capacity in our uh, civil defense commission to mm-hmm. de- oil spills um so, so but brian i want to ask you it's this not direct. as though we were we were standing still and okay the oil will come mm-hmm. a number of things have happened in tandem mm-hmm. but i want to ask you this i want to ask you this direct brian so in your mind do you feel that the government's current two percent royalty and a fifty percent profit levy on the oil do you feel that that is a, f- a fair deal for guyana i believe that in this current construct as we stand, given all the facts, the risking of the area, given the fact that this is only one, um, one, one company mm-hmm. and the potentialities of the others, that it is a comfortable place to be with at this time. Okay. The government has already indicated that it will, in, for future um, contracts, there has been a revision of future contracts. So there's already an, 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 an really on the part of government mm-hmm. to review future contracts. So the, the same regime will not exist for other countries. So I believe it's a comfortable place to start. This is not to come and finish tomorrow or next year. Mm-hmm. This is in for at least three generations, four generations from now. All right, well, I mean, that, that's a fair assessment from your part. I mean, Rice that Energy estimates that the government would, would pull in around 60% of the profit uh, and whereas the remaining 40% will go. And just in terms of comparing this to other countries that have um, had similar uh, that have had oil discoveries rice said like i mentioned before they, they consider this uh favorable to the oil company the average take of, a, of the government is around 60 percent like i mentioned before but on average in terms of compa- comparing with other countries average government take for all offshore projects is around 75 percent that is standard that's what they're saying uh, while rates in major producing countries such as nigeria norway mexico and Trinidad and Tobago, I have to mention Trinidad and Tobago because obviously uh, that countries in the region is, a, is all, they're all above 80%, alright? When you compare what Guyana is making, that 60% Guyana is collecting compared to that 80% and the 75% of those other countries. But again, this study again makes the distinction that Guyana is in line with the other countries such as um, the Falkland Islands, Israel, Mozambique that have recently basically just entered sorry the exploration and production of oil and their so take is around 50 to 65 percent uh, and therefore guyana falls within that range so I mean, are you comparing only... are you comparing a country that now discovers oil to a mm-hmm. country that has had a history of oil production is that yeah a, i mean a I, 
and that's a fair response but i i think what they were getting at is that the, the first deal for some of these countries uh, you know they they were able to, to kind of get more uh, of the share but again they don't have the same and I, I appreciate the nuances that you mentioned in terms of they don't have guyana's history in terms of um unsuccessful attempts at, at, and so on so you don't have to build your reputation and the, I mean, the conclusion of the particular article it really said that in uh, the reason really for this, why Guyana is getting around 60%, is that in order to attract investments from international exploration and production companies to kickstart their offshore ambitions, I mean, frontier countries such as Guyana, because Guyana is a frontier country in terms of um, it's a new discovery, they have to sweeten the pot. As we just say in the Caribbean, they have a, they have a nice, they never try like an extra season in the pot. You know, the word we usually use are, are concessions. <laughs> <laughs> I try to stay away from that, but you know. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's basically what it is. That's, it, that, that's what it is in terms of you guys had to do what you have to do to get the guys on the ground, to get the guys drilling. And so there are some concessions that have to be made. But now that you are in a different part, so to speak, you can know, you know, you know where you work now. You know your words, exactly. so then you can't come around yes. with them, you know, that kind of thing there. Right. But then, Brian, that brings me to the next area of contention as it relates to Guyana and, and whether or not you're poised for an oil takeoff. What does this current political turmoil mean for Guyana and its oil? We've seen the recent rules in, rulings in the CCJ. I mean, the upcoming elections are meant to play out really in over the, 20, the late 2019 or early 2020. And so, and, and that kind of coincides with when uh, the first oil production will take place. And so, vocal critics have already begun to advocate um, that you guys, for example, look at the, 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 the production sharing agreement, the PSAs, and so on and so forth. So, all of this now, oil is a big issue in terms of politics and in terms of how this next election plays out. Yes. Um, well, as we are currently, um, I believe that the government has demonstrated uh, a sort of stability in ensuring that one, the rulings of the CCG are abided by. Um, this government lost um, four ministers in listening to the ruling. Um, the government has maintained stable posture and not being aggressive in leading with the opposition leader um, to nominate a GCOM chair. So investors like stability. So I do not believe that our current political climate is negatively affecting investment and investor confidence. You don't think so? I don't believe so. Because I've seen a lot of I articles. Believe, I've seen a lot of articles. I believe articles that there might be there might be some um, there might be some sections that are maybe clamoring. Maybe because of interest, maybe because of um, personal bias. But I do not believe that overall there's a ground swelling in an investor community that demonstrates unsurety. Mm -hmm. I don't believe so. And one of the reasons why, why I don't believe so too is because the government has indicated that the next contract will be reviewed, not the current. And the that, that has allowed investors to be less wary of any drastic changes when the elections are held. Because it would be foolhardy at this point to go and try to Tear look at changing we start a again. contract that was that. That, that, that investors already did. I mean, we had we have um, the laser destiny, um, the floating production ship coming, we have the offshore bases setting up, we have um, the influx. I think the last um, I saw a couple thousand well um, expatriates are coming into the country mm -hmm. um, for the oil and gas sector specifically. Mm -hmm. So they continue to come, and at this, at this, at the pace. I am not convinced that there is some overall ground swelling that there is uncertainty. 
Mm-hmm. But Brian, can you walk us through a timeline of the recent political events as well as the significant dates going forward towards the new election? Well, the greatest date was the uh, December 21st, no confidence. <laughs> Um, Mr. Passard! <laughs> which, um, which surprise doesn't say that took you by surprise. Well, it did take me by surprise, but you know, in politics, you know, you must always be ready for the unexpected. <laughs> I mean, the government had a one-seat majority, and mm-hmm. as such, these are things that come with... tenuous, yeah. These are committed that come with the territory. Mm-hmm. So, um, that happened. Uh, the government subsequently would have challenged um, the vote. Because mm-hmm. as our constitution, um, one cannot be a dual citizen mm-hmm. and um, be a member of our national assembly. The courts upheld that dual citizen should not sit in the house, and that's how the government lost four ministers. Mm-hmm. But the court upheld his vote, and a surgeon no confidence motion was deemed to be validly passed. Mm-hmm. The government obviously appealed that decision as is the government's right to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went all the way to the CCJ, who recently in its consequential orders would have indicated that the vote was validly passed and that there would be the need for elections in the shortest possible time. The government currently has, in the, has abided by the, the constitution and abided by the CCJ, as you see recently with the appointment of the GCOM chairperson, yes, um, yes. which came through a consultative process. Um, with the leader of the opposition and the president, as per the constitution, the leader of the opposition and the president um, met before that, um, while the matters were going to the court system, um, to engage on matters of national importance. So we had the appointment of the chairperson, and that chairperson now has the remit of elections as per our constitution. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the National Assembly is not dissolved, so that should there be a necessity for the, the elections date to be extended, the National Assembly has that power, and as mm-hmm. such, it has not been dissolved. Okay, so, um, so it's, it's not, it has not been dissolved, uh, as would usually happen when you're, leading, when you're heading into an, an, a regular election cycle. Correct. In addition to that, the Ghana Elections Commission, who is the chief authority in charge of um, electoral, running elections and also ensuring that we have um, an elections list, they have requested monies to facilitate their preparations for an election. Uh, they're currently on go, uh, engaged in house-to-house registration mm-hmm. to ensure there's a viable list. Mm-hmm. Because as you would also um, understand, you won't want to have an election and the processes contested. It's true, especially going to... into oil production. Exactly. And you don't want a, a situation where, you know, I, I, and I think of immediately about St. Vincent the Grenadines, where we have uh, currently before the court's election petitions pertaining to allegations that elections were stolen and so on and so exactly. forth. Exactly. You don't want to have that. You would not want that leading into something as important as, as oil, oil production. Correct. Yeah. So the, so the, um, the Guyan Elections Commission has requested $3 billion last year. They were given that. They requested... Oh, just $3 billion, I opened and I remember it's Guyanese dollars now. <laughs> With all the respect all right. to the Guyanese Well, currency. I just thought you could talk $3 billion, Guyanese dollars going to be a different value. Don't fight. It's, it's true. I fight it. <laughs> right? And they also requested um, some more money this year, all of which were approved um, to ensure that they're capable to execute credible elections. All right? Mm-hmm. So those elections will be held and the government has committed to holding those elections in the shortest possible time and ensuring those elections are credible. So you, you don't so so not before the end of the year, probably early twenty twenty then. Well it's not it is it's not within my remit as of course, the constitution I mean, of Guyana. Yeah. <laughs> to, to to pronounce on when though that date might be. 
Mm -hmm. um, right now, you, you see, the GCOM's construct is that you have three government commissioners and three opposition commissioners mm -hmm. they have, and the chairperson. They now have to determine, after consulting, after doing their, um, their assessment of GCOM, what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But if I can just get two minutes to explain to you the, the, the Guyana's situation, mm -hmm. this watery wilderness, wilderness that they speak about. Um, in the 3,000 square miles is a big landmass to cover. We have regions like Region 1, Brima Waini, which are riverine areas. We have um, in the Rupununi, which are extensive savannas. So hold on, so how come when I was there, you never crime into them places, eh, brother? You just, you, you understand, you ain't crime down deep you only inside. Come, you, only come, you only come for two days, two or three days, you come for long enough. Next time, I told you on the team, I said next time you come, we gotta plan this properly. It's true, we had to explore Them river you got in St. Vincent and Barbados. It's I, nothing like them, like Essequibo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Ghana is a very vast, um, vast, um, landmass and polling pla places of poll, polling stations. You have to recruit staff for the conduct of elections. You have to train staff for the conduct of elections. You have to procure um, ballot paper, ballot ink. Uh, it, it is a extensive exercise. So I will not be the one to pronounce as to mm -hmm. when um, elections can be held. That is the sole responsibility of GCOM, who will advise the president as to their readiness for election. Mm -hmm. Subsequent uh, to that, the president's political constitution will then name the date of the election. Well then, the next question I, I would ask you, Brian, what do you see as the, the impact in terms of growth and development uh, for Guyana when oil production begins? And can you well, walk us through you know, some of the foreign investment opportunities that have been identified thus far? Well, you know, Sometimes when, when you have an oil, oil producing nation and it's your first oil, you have to be very careful as to how resources are allocated. Mm -hmm. You know, naturally there's an, there's an excitement with oil and everybody almost wants to turn mm -hmm. <laughs> everything <laughs> oil. All right. Mm -hmm. So it's something to be very wary of. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, Guyana has engaged the World Bank um, to ensure that we govern our resources in a manner that A, is equitable and B, that buffers us from the resource curse. Mm -hmm. um, just on 1st of August, Emancipation Day in Guyana, the president has articulated that one of the first priorities of government is the reinstating of the policy of free education from nursery to tertiary. Okay. Um, it is a that, mean, that means the redevelopment of, of, of more money is being allocated to, of course, University of Guyana, which is one of the things we were trying to champion while we were there. Correct, correct. It is, it is the president's belief that it is only through education and significant investment in education that we can build our country. In addition to that, um, infrastructural development is critical to us. Mm -hmm. um, we have a vast landmass, as I would have told you, and there is a need when you move off from the coast to get more transportation networks. The, the, the interconnectivity of our regions mm -hmm. um, are some priority areas for the government. Currently, so like you're talking roads, bridges, that sort of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Currently, um, roads, bridges, um, harbors. Mm -hmm. um, currently, you know that there is um, a large influx of engineers and um, uh, shore-based support activity, mm -hmm. <laughs> which has been the driving force of um, some of the local investment. But there are avenues and opportunities which exist in agriculture. Mm -hmm. There are avenues and opportunities which continue to exist in the energy sector, um, which are likely to explode given the new 
influx of um, oil revenues. That sounds good, and I'm glad you, you kind of touched on what I wanted to speak about next. The expected benefits of oil discovery and production. Now, as you know, a sovereign wealth fund was set up via the Sovereign Wealth Fund Bill, uh, which was yes. passed in 2017. And yes. um, this is really where the profits and, and so on of, of the oil exploration and production are going to go. And then from, from that, it's going to be used to help to develop um, Guyana. Yes. And um, I mean, obviously, this is an important piece of legislation. There are similar funds. So, for example, St. Kitts has a sovereign wealth fund, I believe. Norway, um, the Norwegian model. Yeah, but so, um, St. Kitts one is for the citizenship by investment, which is. I think there's one. <laughs> Trinidad had a sort of. Um, I think the education fund it is. I think it was. Yeah, I know that you. I know they have Gator Decentral for education. Yeah, Gator. Free, quote unquote up to um university education but guyana is predicted to be one of the fastest growing economies over the next decade or so and that means a lot it means investment from both domestic and foreign entities i yes. know recently for example there was a whole meeting a big meeting on barbados in terms of industry leaders for persons looking to invest in guyana and there's one and, in Trinidad also that, that yeah uh, that so we, we see that those ago. sort of yeah, so we see that sort of activity happening where people are poised, they're positioning themselves to come in and get a little piece of this oil wealth um, yes. from Guyana. And obviously that's something to be careful of. In I, and of I, hope that, I hope that this, this new um, oil wealth and this new oil interest can also be an impetus for us to drive our regional development and regional mm -hmm. integration. Mm -hmm. Because you know that is something that you know, we've had some concerns with. Definitely. You know, the pace at which regional integration has been moving. Mm -hmm. um, from a personal perspective, I would hope that this newfound interest in Guyana, mm -hmm. because we're, we're open, we're a Caribbean nation, we're open to the Haitians, we're open to the Trinidadians, we're open to the small islanders, you're open to the Venezuelans too, and Barbados, we're open to all our Caribbean brothers and sisters, because you know we're connected to them um, yeah, with, with, sure. with our culture, mm -hmm. so we're very much open, um, and on the Venezuelan um, Topic: We actually have about four thousand to six thousand Venezuelan refugees right about now okay. um, in our country. So we are open. It is our it is our desire to. I mean, going back to the foundation of CARICOM, it, you know, it's our former president Forbes Burnham um, who would have been championing mm -hmm. the integration movement. It is our hope that this new interest can cause us to gel a bit more. You know, I'm always for that, and, and I believe I keep telling that we always look outwards for our growth and development. We always look to the bigger nations outside of the region, and I can speak specifically about tourism and interregional travel in terms of what we can do uh, for each other. Um, but just in terms of other benefits, we've already mentioned uh, the infrastructural developments in terms of roads, bridges, buildings, and, and an important point that you didn't touch on is telecommunications, and uh, that is something that needs to really become more pervasive and penetrate more of Guyana in terms of broadband, full broadband, high speed, and so on. Those are things that we expect to be developed. Well, um, no, there's a, there's a, there's a natural, natural developmental trajectory mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. as as the um, as infrastructure develops, for example, the road and giving you access to greater areas, mm -hmm. as the Haitians, the Barbadians, the Trinidadians come and settle in our country, um, so therefore increasing the population. Um, there will be a need for mm -hmm. an increase in cellular service and internet connectivity, just like there will be a need for an improved energy sector. Mm -hmm. so these are all concomitant um, advancements that will happen just as a result of um, the investment in infrastructure and education. But, 
and of course with that uh you alluded to it before a boost in employment and obviously a consequential reduction in unemployment uh we expect social development in terms of the living standards and hopefully wages because you know sometimes wages can be sticky um yes. you know education you already spoke about uh investment the uh free education up to university that's something that we we typically see countries do uh with oil revenue where they kind of try to boost you can't go wrong with building human capacity yeah man your human capital development uh connectivity is another important one and uh, we saw recently i think um American Airlines uh, started or is about to start some flights, some direct flights into Guyana. Yes, and we're also expecting some um, some, uh, connections with um, Africa actually Mm -hmm. to to have direct flights from Guyana, continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we expect a lot more international, even regional connectivity. Yes. Um, So that's a positive there. Um, But you know the lado, not to to derail your your, your, your trajectory, mm -hmm. but it it is always for me a concern that Guyana has the the capacity and the capability to provide food for the whole region. For our, I always our think region about of that. brothers and sisters. I think about that all the time. Right? It, it is only a matter of time. We import in all this all this foreign you know all this, this foreign It is only a matter product. of time before we, we, we you know realize these potentialities. You know we can have mm. fresh borrow in Saint Vincent. It's a long time we saying so you know but I I, I mean that's that that's really up to the to our leaders to be honest and, and yeah, that, that is true wanting is to true. deepen the integration a big thrust of the government mm-hmm. is for regional development mm-hmm. because we have some regions for example in region one region two um that are northernmost of our country um just a few minutes flight time mm-hmm. from uh, mabaruma to trinidad or from um Anna regina to trinidad or to from let me hear that one again Anna regina Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta teach yes. me these names, boy. I, I roll <laughs> off my tongue like I got rolling off your tongue, you see me? <laughs> yes. Um, so these are areas that are heavy agriculture based, and there is no reason why we can't see a businessman flying in from Trinidad or from St. Kitts and St. Kitts um, going to Anaregina um, and taking back rice, um, taking back plantains, taking back fresh fruit. And each region is expected will be developing uh, we've instituted what's called the regional agriculture and commercial exhibition each region almost becomes a cell of its own mm-hmm. no you might have seen in the news that we um, made three tongues three new tongues right um, and that is a, as a thrust to improving each region so each region will have a airport mm-hmm. airstrip yeah you need balanced development you can't have jarstrong alone booming and the Correct. other parts of guyana uh, and it's not just oil alone mm-hmm. right? so use and the I, oil and you use those revenues to improve mm-hmm. uh, because i was gonna get to that i was gonna get to that production i was gonna get to that in terms of issues to be wary of and mm-hmm. one of these really is your yeah, it's a benefit and a curse so to speak in terms of the the increased international prominence and overtures so you you see a lot of countries now reaching out to guyana seeking foreign relations and so on but you have to remember yes. you gotta keep and it was a great no new friends yes yes <laughs> I, no, I, new I only friends, joking, no new friends <laughs> it's always that good is, to make new friends that is you have true. to be wary of true. those who have not been with you historically that and, is true. And, and that and another thing another issues other issues include for example the over reliance on oil revenue correct and um a lack of diversity in terms of the economy you might lose mm-hmm. focus on agriculture i'm glad you mentioned these these different things that you're focusing on you know to not become one of those oil and gas only um economies right. so you have to be careful of that one of the recent conversations i had up at, at university is 
about people who are, you know, not understanding how it is we're becoming an, a producing nation and we, where we're pushing this green state development strategy. They're mm-hmm. like, they can't be extracting oil and, and, and want to preserve the environment. It's true, it has to be but sustainable. It, but it, exactly, I, I had to be at pains to explain that this is offshore oil. We won't see when every barrel is being drawn out, nor the, nor the floating production um, ship. We won't see it. Mm-hmm. But the revenues from this, these will be used to ensure that our environment, our flora, our fauna, is preserved. The lungs of the earth as we are, as we are known are maintained, managing forestry, managing mining, mm-hmm. so that we ensure that there is sustainable development and not that reliance on oil mm-hmm. everything oil. Yeah, I, I agree fully. And I mean, I, I was going to go on to mention inflation, which sometimes come with um, with oil and so on. Over-reliance on the one commodity. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and, a, and a general increase in prices throughout the economy as more foreigners come in, as unemployment Correct. reduces and so on. Inflation is a real concern for, for economies that are that are going into that. So that's something that obviously Guyana and they have to manage in terms of um, even the exchange rate and so on, because we, we joke about it in terms of the, the value of the Guyanese currency appreciating, but that would have ramifications for the economy as well. And so, you know, for example, Jamaica is leading the region right now in terms of inflation targeting at the essential bank and so on. So these are things that you guys will have to grapple with uh, throughout. Yes, yes. And um, of course, another issue that has come up in terms of it, and you mentioned certain aspects of it, but a lack of oversight is one issue of critical importance in terms of the fiscal and regulatory framework that governs the new oil sector. And I read an article in um, Trinidad and Tobago Newsday that said that to date, there are no laws in place to govern the sector uh, come the first oil in nine months. And that's a July 2019 article, so I don't imagine much has been done since then. And so obviously now, you know, in other countries there's legislation, and I wish Jadik were here to go into a little bit uh, about mm-hmm. it. Um, but there, there, there are certain laws and, uh, and legislation in, in place to govern our yes. exploration, our production, our extraction, and so on. Yes, as I, as I, when we first uh, started the conversation, I did indicate that we we're, were running on two feet. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there has been some challenge in that regard in being able to have every single thing in place. However, I mean, elections might be done in uh, a few mornings and there might be therefore the commitment on both sides to be able to go to parliament and have these legislation in place because these are national issues, it's not mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. These are national partisan issues. issues. Mm-hmm. All right? shouldn't so, be partisan issues. Yeah, I am, I am, I am of the opinion that um, as soon as the elections are over, um, those will be handled. But in the meantime, what has been done is that there has been the capacity building from agencies such as the Guyana Revenue Authority, the Civil Defense, to be able to audit the numbers from Exxon, the Civil Defense Commission, to be able to deal with oil spill preparedness, um, and managing the risks, capacity building at the level of the Ministry of Finance. So, while the legislation is not there, or, or and we also have Natural Resource Governance Institute. So, mm-hmm. in as much as there might not have been all the legislation in place, there is also the building of capacity across the board to ensure that agencies are ready. I was speaking about public corruption, Brian, and really, uh, the, we spoke about the resource curse before, which is a, a, it could be uh, you know misuse of funds even from the sovereign wealth fund uh, and it can also uh, be used by by leaders who misappropriate money this is and this isn't me talking this is what has happened in other countries uh you know where oil discoveries have fueled public corruption 
Uh, we can speak also around environmental concerns, which we, we, we briefly touched on in terms of oil spills, marine safety, and so on. And another important thing tied to that is the volatility of oil prices. So, I mean, all these estimates now jumping in about 5 billion, this 5 billion, that we saw it, as a result of the, 20, the 2008 financial crisis when oil prices plummeted. We saw what happened to Trinidad and Tobago and so on we see that these these are real issues um that can confront a, a government and so you really have to be so careful and so vigilant you really have to run a tight ship yes well um in, in response to the um, likelihood of corruption corruption can be dealt with or can be mitigated through one um engendering public confidence institutions ensuring that business the, the ease of doing business is uh, increased so that you don't have the instances of um, you know, persons having to ask external externalities to influence the process of getting licenses. And these are all um, things that, again, are being dealt with, are, are still in the motion. We only recently would have um, installed our smart city solutions um, to, to investigate and monitor, I mean, even though we've had some, some sorts of uh, criticism about you know, privacy and how far it reaches. Be able to monitor crime and monitor instances of errant driving and errant road users because the building capacity in government agencies is critical. The building of technical understanding, the building of infrastructure is important so that when doing business in Guyana, it becomes almost um, seamless. And as such, that so, will so, dissuade. So acts of corruption. So basically you're saying that you're not concerned about public corruption. I was not concerned. I'm very concerned about public um, corruption and I believe that is something that must be taken seriously and I also would say that there are efforts, significant efforts, to curb that. Um, we have instituted a, the Bertram Collins College of the Public Service which is envisioned will retrain the public service to understand its role in development, all right? So the tackling of corruption, the seriousness of, of, of dealing with it, lies in the investment in building capacity in public offices and building public confidence. Uh, well, Brian, by way of wrapping up, uh, we basically touched on all of the issues uh, that uh, I wanted to uh, include in this episode. I think we had a far-reaching discussion and I want to thank you for that. I really appreciate it. A lot of insight. Uh, but just moving on as we wrap up the pod into the final phase of this episode, well, what are we drinking to? Uh, for me this week, I am drinking to, and I wish Jadrick was here, I'm actually drinking to my brother, my good friend for many, many years, Jadrick, and also my co-host on this pod. Sunday uh, was his birthday and so i just want to raise a glass to my good good friend my good brethren who isn't here but jadrick are raising one for you in abstention and me and me and, me and brian gonna drink something for you you see me so that's what i'm drinking to this week and brian what are you drinking to this week i'm drinking to guyana and its emerging role in the regional integration um that bang, bang. i believe that this opportunity that the region has this is not just a blessing for guyana alone I believe it's also a blessing for the region and for us to be able to um, realize our regional integration ambitions um, through Guyana and come um, invest in Guyana. I could definitely drink to that, Brian. Well, there you have it, folks. This has been episode five. I want to thank you on behalf of me and Jared, Brian, for being here with us today. Not a problem. Thank you very much, Delano. And we'll catch you next time.